imagine that you, you met someone, maybe from a foreign country, uh, that practices a strange religion, and that person asked you just to describe briefly what you say your God is like. What would you say? What's God's personality like? His disposition? What would you say? Do you feel like God is uh, just sort of distant, disconnected? Is He cold? Do you feel God is authoritarian? Is He stern? Is he difficult to please? Is he critical? Does he notice every little thing you do wrong? When you think of God, do you picture him as being uh, benevolent, kind, accepting? Do I God is loving? How would you describe God? If you have to do that very briefly in a few words, it can be very difficult and maybe even a little bit dangerous. Here's why I say that. Outside of maybe the top line up here, God is not distant and disconnected like the deists believe. But probably, is God authoritarian? Is he, with what he say, go? Yeah. Can God be stern? How about this? Can God be difficult to please? If you're going to try to please Him through your behavior. Is God critical? Does He see every little thing you do wrong? But is God benevolent? Is He accepting? We could talk about that one all day. Yeah, the answer is yes and no. Is He loving? Yeah. If we get too simple of a picture of God, God is not like a character in a book or a movie or a TV show, most of which are very flat characters, stock characters that have like one characteristic and they never sort of change. Like Superman is always like always going to swoop in to save the day, right? The, the Wicked Witch of the West... Like she didn't have any good days. She didn't have any endearing qualities. She's just always the same. God is extremely complex. He's always good, but He's very complex. That's really important to remember. And here's why. Because God seems very much to us like He's very unpredictable because He's very unpredictable. Here's why that's important to remember. We're going to open a passage of the Scriptures today where God is going to be very heavy-handed against quite a few people. And that's not my word, my term. It comes straight from the text. God was very heavy-handed.
handed. He's going to seem mean. He's going to cause, not allow, mind you, he's going to cause the death of a lot of people. And if I have a, if I have sort of a flatter, non-complex view of God, if I think of God as always being kind, always swooping in to save the day, always being accepting, and I'm not going to know what to do with today's passage. However, if your view of God is that He's always disapproving, He's always harshly critical. You're going to do something with this passage that you shouldn't. Because our God's a big subject. He's very complicated. Where we're going to pick up today in the book of 1 Samuel, we're going to read quite a large section today. So uh, turn your attention spans on. Um, Just to get you caught up, Israel has just been slaughtered in two separate battles um, against their arch enemies, the Philistines. They were defeated. They, they took the Ark of the Covenant out onto the battlefield, treating it like it was either a lucky rabbit's foot or a weapon of mass destruction, or maybe both. They thought God would make them win if they carried this out there. He did not make them win. They got slaughtered. Then the Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant back home with them. And last week, God, in the first five verses of 1 Samuel 5, He demonstrated that God hadn't been defeated, no matter what they, the Philistines, believed. And He uh, demonstrated that He is superior to their chief God, a God named Dagon, a a, a deity, a, a fake, idolatrous God. And today, though, God's going to sort of take aim not at a statue, but at people. Let's see what He has to teach us about the heavy-handed grace of God. 1 Samuel chapter 5, verse 6 is where we start. Now the hand of the Lord was heavy on the Ashdodites. And he ravaged them and he smote them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territories. When the men of Ashdod saw that it was so, they said, the ark of the God of Israel must not remain with us, for God's hand is severe on us and on Dagon, our God. So they sent and gathered all the lords of the Philistines to them and said, what shall we do with the ark of of the God of Israel? And the lords, or or the Philistines, the rulers, said, let the ark of the God of Israel be brought around to Gath. Send it to another town. And they brought the ark of the God of Israel to Gath. After they had brought it to Gath, the hand of the Lord was against that city with very great confusion. And he smote the men or the people of that city, both young and old, so that tumors broke out on them. So they sent the ark of God to Ekron. And as, as the ark was getting to Ekron, the Ekronots cried out saying, they have brought the ark of the God of Israel around to us to kill us and our people. And so they sent therefore and gathered all the lords of the Philistines and said, send this ark of God of Israel away. Let it return to its own place so that it won't kill us and our people. So there was a deadly confusion throughout the city. And the 
hand of God was very heavy there. Verse 12. And the men who did not die were smitten with tumors, and the city, the cry of the city went up to heaven. Chapter 6. Now the ark of the Lord had been in the country of the Philistines seven months. And the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners, saying, What shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us how we should send it to its place. And the priests said, If you send away the ark of the God of Israel, do not send it empty, but you shall surely return to him a guilt offering. Then you will be healed, and it will be known to you why his hand is not removed from you. Then they said, What shall be the guilt offering which uh, we shall return to him? And they said, Five golden tumors and five golden mice, according to the number of the lords of the Philistines, for one plague was on all of you and your lords or your rulers. Verse 5, So you shall make likenesses of your tumors and likenesses of your mice that ravage the land, and you shall give glory to the God of Israel. Perhaps he will ease his hand from you, your gods, and your land. Why then do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts? When he had severely dealt with them, did they not allow the people to go and they departed? Now, therefore, take and prepare a new cart and two milch cows, not a, uh, not a typo there, that they just mean nursed cows that are nursing calves, on which there has never been a yoke, and hitch the cows to the cart and take their calves home away from them. Take the ark of the Lord and place it on the cart. And put the articles of gold which you return to him as a guilt offering in a box beside the ark. And then send it away that it may go. And watch. If the cart go and the ark goes up by the way of its own territory to Beth Shemesh. Then he, the God of Israel, has done us this great evil. He's responsible for the disease. But if not, then we will know that it was not his hand that struck us. It happened to us by chance. Verse 10. Then the men did so. They took the two milch cows and hitched them to the cart and shut up their calves at home. They put the ark of the Lord on the cart and the box with the golden mice and the likenesses of their tumors. And the cows took the straight way in the direction of Beth Shemesh. They went along the highway, lowing as they went, and did not, assert, did not turn aside to the right or to the left. And the lords of the Philistines followed the cows to the border of Beth Shemesh. And now the people of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley. And they raised their eyes and they saw the ark and they were glad to see it. The cart came into the field of Joshua, the Beth Shemite, and stood there uh, where there was a large stone. And the people split the wood of the cart and offered the cows as burnt offerings to the Lord. Verse 15. The Levites took down the Ark of the Lord and the box that was with it, in which were the articles of gold, and they put them on the large stone. And the men of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and sacrificed sacrifices that day to the Lord. When the five lords of the Philistines saw it, they returned to Ekron that day. These are the golden tumors which the Philistines returned for a guilt offering to the Lord. One for Ashdod, one for Gaza, one for Ashkelon, one for Gath, and one for Ekron, their five cities. And the golden mice, according to the number of all the cities of the Philistines, belonging to the five lords, both of fortified cities and of country villages. 
The large stone on which they set the ark of the Lord is a witness to this day in the field of Joshua to Beth Shemite. Verse 19. God struck down some of the men of Beth Shemesh because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. He struck down all of the people. This version says 50,070 men. Your Bible might just say 70 men. I'll tell you about that in a bit. And the people mounted, or excuse me, the people mourned because the Lord had struck the people with a great slaughter. The men of Bethlehem said, Who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God, and to whom shall he go up from us? So they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kiriath-Jeraim, saying, The Philistines have brought back the ark of the Lord. Come down and take it up to you. And the men of Kiriath-Jeraim came and took the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab on the hill and consecrated Eleazar, his son, to keep the ark of the Lord. Okay, did you catch all that? Any questions there or are we good? Um, in that very long passage, in the first section, we just learned that the hand of the Lord was heavy against the Philistines in the area where the ark was first kept. And what happens in this story is everywhere the ark goes, people start dying. And so they do this really weird thing. It seems so dumb when we read this. They just like play hot potato with this box of death that keeps killing folks, right? Why don't they just get rid of this thing? Well, they're not, they're not dumb. Here's what's going on in this passage. The, the Philistines are polytheistic and syncretistic. And that just means they believed in many gods, polytheistic, and they're syncretistic, which means they will take anything from any religion they think will do them any good. They mix them all together. That's syncretism, sort of. And so what happens, there's a political problem in this passage. The rulers of the Philistines, called the lords of the Philistines, there were five of them, one from each of their major cities, they don't want to get rid of the Ark of Israel because it's the biggest war trophy they've got. They think they might get some supernatural good out of it. And so they want to keep this thing. But the people who start dying in the area, they're like, you know, we didn't used to have this terrible disease before that box showed up, so we blame the box. I don't blame the Lord of the Lords of the Philistines for not blaming the box. Probably, uh, there are good Bible scholars that I agree with, there's probably some form of bubonic plague that breaks out here. Bubonic plague is called bubonic plague because if you catch it, you get these big tumors called buboes. Just pus-filled, awful, painful things. And people got those. And there's also rats and mice involved. Probably they're seeing dead, dead mice everywhere. That's what carries bubonic plague. And then flea bites give it to you. Uh, you can you'll all be sitting there itching for the rest of the, uh, of the service. Can there be any other explanation for the, for the spread of a disease from one town to another besides the God of Israel is smoking people? Of course, 
every time you catch something, you probably don't think that the God that God is smiting you with something, right? So here's what happens in this passage. The government, the lords of the Philistines, want to keep the ark. The people become convinced the ark is killing them. And so it starts in one place, and they say, get the box of death out of here. And so what do they do? They just take it somewhere else. Kick the can down the road. People start dying there. They say, get that thing out of there. Before it gets to Ekron, they see it coming and say, whoa, don't bring that thing in here. We've heard about that thing. That's what's going on in the passage. There's a, it's a political problem. The government and the people have different opinions about what's going on. And so, um, at the beginning of verse 6, the people, excuse me, the beginning of chapter 6, by the time that the, 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 the ark has been in Philistia for seven months, the people have had it. And so they call for the, uh, the ministerial alliance to help them. They call for the priests and the diviners, the theologians, and they ask this question, what shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us how we should send it to its place. How do we get rid of this thing? And there's two, there's two parts to that question. They are looking for a, a religious solution, and a political solution. Here's what they're asking, and we can tell it's what they're asking by the rest of the story. They ask first, it's like practically speaking, how do we get rid of this thing? We don't want to, we believe the, the God of this, the God behind this thing is killing folks. We don't want to just light this thing on fire because we're afraid that God will light us on fire. How do we get rid of this thing in a way where he's not madder at us than he obviously already is? That's one part of their question. Then there's the political question. Can you help us convince the government to listen to us? Can you help us convince the, the lords of the Philistines to get rid of this thing? And that's the rest of the story solving those two sort of problems. The first is the religious portion of this question. The, the lords of the Philistines, or excuse me, the Philistines are polytheistic. Their problem is not that they don't believe in the God of Israel. They believe in the God of everything. They believe Israel's God is real. So they have some information about Him. It's bad information. It's not enough information, but they've got some. And so they say, hey, their God over there in Israel, He requires guilt offerings from people who have offended Him. Isn't that true? It is true. So He says, or they say, the ministerial alliance says, you've got to send a guilt offering. You've got to send it back. Don't destroy it. Get it back there. And you've got to send a bribe, basically. That's the way the spiritual world works in their eyes. We have to figure out what the gods want and give it to them so that they can give us what we want. So they say, here's, here's the bribe. Here's what you do. 
collect enough gold jewelry, you melt it down, and you make yourself some statues. These had to be incredibly attractive statues. Uh, they make yourself statues that look like your giant pus-filled tumors. Um, they wouldn't that look nice on the mantle? We get some Christmas ornaments or something made of that. So five of those, and then five uh, statues, probably of dead rats. Okay, and and that seems super like random, but it's not. It's not at all. It makes perfect sense to them because here's what this is: we're going to send these back, and because there's five of each, that's like the number of the Philistines. You're identifying the senders, and you're identifying the problem. The problem is whatever's killing all the rats and whatever's giving us these giant tumors. So here's who's sending this, and here's what the problem is. That's what we would like fixed. And this has been very costly. Please accept this and turn off the, the, the plague. Does that make sense? That's the religious problem. Now for the political problem, though. How do we convince the government? the lords of the Philistines, to listen to this. Verse 6 is where the, uh, the ministerial alliance starts talking to uh, the commissioners, the, uh, the five lords of the Philistines. Here's what they say, verse 6. Why do you harden your hearts like this? is just like the Egyptians and Pharaoh did. Hear the government part of that? When he had severely, when God had severely dealt with Egypt and Pharaoh... They were smart enough to let Israel go. What they're saying in verse 6 is, these people's God is not to be trifled with. You can whip the Israelites sometimes, but you can't whip his God. right? You can't whip their God. He is not to be messed with. But apparently, the government still believes this is a coincidence. They, they don't believe the statue falling down, the bubonic plague, all that stuff has a supernatural cause. So what the, what the priests do, who apparently are very convinced this is from the God of Israel, they set up a test. They set up a coincidence test. And they get the government to agree to this. Here's the deal. If this happens you guys will admit that there's a supernatural cause behind all this stuff. And of course they would agree with this. Because here's what the test is. The priests say, you get two cows that have baby calves nursing. And separate the calves from the cows. Then you get... Make sure these two cows have never had a yoke or a harness or anything on them. They've never been trained to pull anything. And you're going to take those two cows and put a, put a wooden yoke on them so they're yoked together. You put a cart behind those cows. Put the ark on there. Put your ten statues in a box on there. And won't you agree, rulers of the Philistines, if those cows make a beeline for Israel, will you then agree that there has to be a supernatural cause behind this? And they're like, absolutely. 
I imagine that there were negotiations in this. Like they started with just separate the cows from their babies. Because if the cows are separated from the babies, where, where are those cows going to want to go? Back toward the babies. No, 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 that's, that's too easy. Maybe they didn't like those two, kid, those two kids anyway. Like they couldn't get away. They, they wanted some peace and quiet. They couldn't get away. Couldn't wait to get away from those kids. So then we'll do the yoke thing. What is going to happen if you take two cows that have never had a wooden yoke on them, yoke them together in front of a wooden cart? That cart is not long for this world, right? As soon as they're not going to like it, one's going to pull in one direction, which is going to pull against that one, and she's going to go berserk, and it's just going to be a mess. But they do this, and those two cows in, in lock, step, unison, make a beeline away from their calves, lowing, mooing as they go, like they want to be with their calves, but something is compelling them to go toward Israel. And they make a beeline for Beth Shemesh, a village in Israel. Uh, and, and thats It's a miracle. A miracle is just something that happens that has no uh, scientific or natural um, cause. And this is that Two times over. Now, if we've ne- if you've never read this story before, and we hadn't finished, and I got we got to this point and told you, and I told you that's what happened. The cows just went and delivered their cargo. They went to a guy named Joshua's field and stopped like their trip was over. And I said, "What do you think happened after that?" I, I think we would all guess that the rest of this story is just. A celebration of God-fueled joy. Because the Philistines leave dejected. The ark is back home. And everything is fine in Israel. But that's not at all what we see. The end of this passage... is about poor responses to these events and more of God's heavy-handedness. The people are happy to see the ark back home. They do worship God. They offer sacrifices. The Philistines do go home dejected, convinced the God of Israel has been behind this whole thing. And, and those might sound like good responses, but I don't know if you picked up on it. There's one, there's one little clue in the story that lets us know things aren't good. God starts killing folks. Okay? That's our clue that maybe these responses aren't as good as maybe we, we thought they were. And so our question is, what could be so wrong with what people do? That God, like, He just starts killing folks again. Verse 19 says that God struck down some of the men of Beth Shemesh because they'd looked into the ark. He struck down of all the people 50,070 men. Some of our Bibles just say 70. 
I won't fight you over this. It doesn't matter. It doesn't change the meaning of the story. If God only killed 70 men in this village, it's not like they were like, hey, sweet, at least it wasn't 50,070, right? Um, the discrepancy, somebody uh, probably corrected one or the other. Uh, either 70 didn't seem like enough or 50,070 seemed like way too many. If it's 50,070, this was a nationwide deal. There weren't 50,000 people that lived in Beth Shemesh. That's, that's for sure. But either way, it doesn't matter. God starts killing folks. And our question, again, is what's so wrong? What's so wrong with these reactions? Well, first, I want to show you what, what I think just might be the saddest verse yet in the book of 1 Samuel. It's right here. Verse 16 of chapter 6. When the, when the five lords of the Philistines saw it, they returned to Ekron that day. That's just devastatingly sad. To me. These five men just made a deal they just said, okay, so the, the, the mama cows are going to walk away from their calves while they're yoked together for the first time. And they're going to they're, they're pull the Ark of the Covenant straight to Israel and stop. Okay. If that happens, we'll believe the God of Israel did all this. It happened. What should they have done? They've just gotten more evidence than anybody's almost ever had. They should fall on their knees and say, how do I worship that God? How do I pursue a God who would do that? They turn around and they go back home. They should have started the biggest revival. It should have been five traveling preachers of the good news of Yahweh, the God of Israel. And they just turn around and go home. That's a bad response. But theirs is not the only bad response. As for Israel... It's easy to look at what Israel does and like, come on, God. They're happy to see the ark. They're making sacrifices. You like sacrifices. You told them to do sacrifices. What can be so wrong? Remember, during this whole section in the, in the book of 1 Samuel, I've been telling you the purpose of the ark, it fit into this whole system that teaches this truth. God wants to be with people. People need to be with God, but the only way people can be with God is if they pursue God the way God allows Himself to be pursued. We can't put any ladder, any old ladder we want and climb up to God by whatever path we want. We have to pursue God the way He allows Himself to be pursued, right? So here's what's wrong with Israel's response. They see the ark coming and they start celebrating 
our problems are over, the ark's back. That was never their problem. The reason the ark was gone was because of their problem. Their problem is they don't pursue the God they say is their God the way He has said He is to be pursued. They still have their problem and they prove it. If you read back through that passage, they take. Think about this. It's excusable for the Philistines to make the weird statues. They approach the God of the Ten Commandments, right? Which includes, thou shalt not make any, what? Any graven images. And they take carved graven images of the filthiest things you could even imagine. Pus-filled tumors and dead rats. And they put those up on the rock right by the Ark of the Covenant. You read through there, there's people opening the lid and looking in there. You want to know how bad of news that is? Watch the end of Indiana Jones right, and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. The biblical response, by the way, I'll share that with you a different time. People are touching this thing. They're coming to... Uh, yeah, they give sacrifices. They take a Philistine cart and burn wood and they use Philistine cows as whole burnt offering. None of that is legal according to the way God has said He can be pursued. And so God starts killing things. He killed a whole bunch of Philistines and now He's killing a whole bunch of the good guys. The Israelites. And that's the story. So let me ask you, what do you think about God in that story? Just be honest. God seem a little too heavy-handed. It seemed like he went a little too far this time. I mean, come on. Okay, maybe I get it with the Philistines. But what about the good guys? Those people had they, their hearts were in the right place, God. They were they were being nice to you. This is a great look. This this passage reminds me of something Paul wrote in Romans, just one verse in Romans chapter eleven. Paul said, "Behold, check out." the goodness and the severity of God. That's what this passage is about. The goodness and the severity of God. Now the severity of God is easy to see in this passage. But the goodness of God is easy in this. But it's there. That's why I said at the beginning, if you tend to think God is very permissive and He'll accept you no matter what you do, because He always loves you no matter what you do, you won't know what to do with this passage. By the same token, if you think God is always severe and disapproving and He's like that parent that you could never please, you're going to miss the goodness of God in this passage. God is severe, but He's always 
It may not seem like God was being very good to the Philistines. The bubonic plague does not sound like a great time. But think about this. Be honest, I won't make you raise your hands. I thought about it, but I won't make you raise your hands. But how many of you have ever done something like this? Okay, God, if you're real, it's like turn the lights on and off in here real fast, and then I'll know that you're real. Right? Everyone who everyone who is laughing has done that. I've done that, right? Guess what happened? I know what happened. The lights didn't go on and off. You know why? God does not have to give you the evidence you ask for. But did you see what God did with the Philistines? They make this incredible test. And He performs. He does it. Why? Because He's preaching to them. He's begging them. How much clearer could He make it that He is the God they should be pursuing? He's done more than His part because He's good. They refuse to do their part. That's going to be on them. Well, yeah, but Pastor Matt, how about all those people that died with the pus-filled buboes all over them? Listen, they were lost anyway. They weren't going to believe. How gracious of God to overtly make it plain that He was where they needed. It can seem like God wasn't being very good to the Israelites. But Israel still had the same problem they had that caused them to bring the Ark of the Covenant out there. They just want to use God to get what they want in life. And that's not what they need. Sometimes we need God to remind us what you want is not what you need. What you need, God would say, is me. And if it is true that there's only one way to God, then what kinder, better, gooder thing could God do than make it very clear that what you are doing is not going to do you any ultimate good with me? This is God urging people, yes, it was painful. Yes, it was severe. But God wants to do what is the best for the most. He needs to make clear, you cannot just pursue me any way you want. So this story reminds us to be like neither group. I want to urge you as we end this morning, do not be like the Philistines. What I mean by that is, do not look at whatever evidence and proof God has given you and somehow convince yourself that it's not enough and go home. You don't get to choose what evidence He gives but you have had evidence enough. This story is a good reminder that even if God would flip the lights on and off, we would convince ourselves that was a, that was a coincidence. We wouldn't change anything. Because when we get to that point in our hearts, and I've been there, 
When we get to that point in our hearts where we're saying, well, turn the lights on and off, and then I'll believe. What we're actually saying is, I have no plan to change anything. I am going to keep living for what I want unless you make me. That's what we're saying. And this is a great illustration with the Philistines, even when God tries to make us. We just want what we want. God could make someone rise from the dead. People still would refuse to believe and follow. Don't be a Philistine this morning. Don't take, don't think the evidence you have is not enough. Pursue the God of the universe in the manner he allows himself to be pursued. It's through faith in the Son of God, but it's for a life lived the way he prescribes. And then also, the Israelites in this story remind me this. Don't let, however God has allowed severity into your life, chase you away from him. It's so easy to take what God has allowed, I don't know, caused in your life. That death you felt was untimely and unfair. That diagnosis. That, that whatever it was that makes you feel empty. It caused all of that pain. Don't let that be enough to convince you that God is simply too mean for you to follow. What if, what if, what if God in His goodness was allowing that hurt into your life to take away what you would depend on for your, for your hope, for your joy, and for your life, and it wouldn't work. And what if God is using that to beckon you and call you for the only thing that can deliver what your heart actually desires. Which is Him. Behold the goodness inside the severity of God. Don't miss it. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, it is so gracious of you to teach us about yourself. To let us see glimpses of your severity. To let us see glimpses of of people suffering when you are the cause. And God, that's gracious of you because at some point it's going to be our turn to suffer. And God, we we don't want to pretend we haven't had the evidence enough to go toward you or pretend that uh, our suffering means we can't trust you. God, we help us trust your goodness through the severity. Help us uh, view the severity that happens in our lives as fuel for the pursuit of the God who will satisfy and save and who is good even though he is severe.
We love you. Help us love you more. We believe in you. Help us believe. We trust you. Help us trust you. Through the goodness and the severity of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.